Hello, Malcolm here, and welcome to the first of two classes for the Thames Valley Churches of Christ on Why We Sing. Why we sing congregationally when we come together. Do you like to sing when you're gathered together with your brothers and sisters? I think everybody enjoys hearing singing, as long as it's reasonably good. But what about participating? And why do we participate? What's the scriptural background to it? What's the theological, God-focused point of the whole thing? Do we enjoy singing? And why do we sing? Singing, you, we'd have to admit, is universal to all cultures. I'm not sure any culture has been discovered yet that hasn't involved singing. Some of the singing in these other cultures might sound a bit strange to your ears or mine. For example, what about throat singing? <laughs> or there again, what about Aboriginal singing? Or finally, Chinese opera. These might sound a bit strange to you or I, but they're meaningful in their own culture. Singing is universal. So why do we gather? Why do we sing and we gather together? What's the purpose of all that? Now you have to admit, there's not a great deal of instruction in this here New Testament about church singing. But I'd say that what the scriptures lack in volume, they make up for, up for in depth. And this class and the next, the next one, I'm going to take a look at three key, the three, I think, key passages about congregational singing in the New Testament. Uh, there's quite a bit in the Old, but we'll maybe look at that another time. We're going to focus on the New Testament instructions. Uh, this week, we're going to look at Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. Next time, we'll look at 1 Corinthians 14. First of all, let's read the Ephesians passage. Ephesians 5, 18, we'll go from, from there, although we should put it in context of the whole chapter, really. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, let's have a look at the Colossians passage at the same time here. Colossians 3, uh, we'll read from uh, verse 15. He says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So let's have a look at these two passages, uh, beginning in the Ephesians 5, and then we'll look again at uh, Colossians 3, and to think about what it means and what it might mean for our singing. So uh, one other thing to mention here is this. it might look a bit like these are casual comments. It's just a few verses in the middle of a very important couple of books, letters uh, from, uh, from Paul. Are they throwaway comments? Maybe Paul's just heard that the churches don't like singing very much and thinks, mm, I better get them singing a bit more. It'd be good for them. But I think these instructions are connected with the bigger picture of the messages of Ephesians and Colossians. And I would thoroughly encourage everybody, if you really want to understand these, uh, do read the whole book of, of Ephesians and the whole book of Colossians so that you can set what you're seeing there in those particular passages in the context of the rest of the book. Because I think there are much bigger issues here than it may look. So Ephesians, what's one of the big themes of Ephesians? Well, 
The Spirit and the Temple are a couple of the big themes in Ephesians. And again, when you read through Ephesians, have a look for those themes. I believe there is a, consist- a, a connection between the Spirit and singing and the Temple and singing. So let's explore that, uh, that connection. Spirit, Temple, the body of Christ, as in the church, and singing. What Paul wants the Ephesians to understand is their significance of their calling to be a temple. That's back in Ephesians 2, verses 21 and 22. They're a family, but they're also a temple. You are a holy temple in the Lord. Uh, They're being built together as a building joined together and rising, being built to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We're spiritful people gathering together. God lives in us personally. In a sense, we are a temple, but also collectively. We are a, a different kind of temple. The physical temple was where God, in a sense, revealed his glory on earth, the tabernacle, then the temple. Jesus re-identifies the temple uh, as his body. Have a look in John 2, 19 to 21, his body uh, as the place where God's glory was manifested, you could put it that way. And that was an extraordinary statement, of course, that uh, shocked and uh, rather worried some of his hearers. Uh, Perhaps even more shockingly, The glory of God, which was in the tabernacle and the temple in Jerusalem, and then was in Jesus, you could say, or more accurately manifested in that building and then in that body, that glory is now in the church. You say, well, I I, I agree, you know, more broadly, but our little group, maybe not. No, no, no. In your group, this is where the glory of God, in a sense, resides and is made visible to the world. So... The, in the context of Ephesians in particular, the, the context there is of particularly Jew and Gentile now one body. Two groups that were formerly apart are now together. And that's revealing the glory of God. The Spirit has brought them together to be one temple. The two groups together, encompassing, of course, all of humanity, have been made one by Christ. That's a lot of the, fee, uh, the theme of Ephesians 2, 14 to 16. He is our peace, made the two groups one, destroyed the barrier. He's brought us all together in your group too. They're joined together now as that temple, as it says at the end of Ephesians chapter 2. That temple deserves to be honoured, doesn't it, and kept pure. And hence, Paul's commands to avoid drunkenness and the like in, uh, in Ephesians 5. They were once darkness, they're now light. Don't have anything to do with fruitless deeds of darkness. That's verse 11 of chapter 5. Expose those things. Be very careful how you live. Verse 15. Don't be unwise. Don't be foolish. Don't get drunk. Because the temple deserves to be honored and kept pure. And that's why he's giving them those instructions. Rather than the old way of life, now you have a new way of life. Be filled with the Spirit. So you have the Spirit. But let it fill you. Like the Spirit of God filled the temple and was fully in Jesus, he now wishes to fill the entirety of God's people, both Jew and Gentile, all kinds of people, God making the two into one. So when we sing, and I think this is the point of the singing point here, when we sing together, old and young, different races and cultures, uh, some perhaps who might have been enemies in other circumstances, when all of this diversity, all of this difference, united by the Spirit and by Christ, sings together as one, the Spirit is filling us and, exp- and showing and revealing to the world that God is glorious. God is glorious through our singing. 
It's a a spirit unity made visible and audible. That's what's happening. Isn't that amazing? And isn't that one of the most glorious reasons why we sing? It's not to make a beautiful sound in the sense of a, a record executive might say, that's a beautiful sound, I want to record you and sell records. No, it's, it's not beautiful in that sense, but it is beautiful in the sense that it is revealing the beauty of God coming together in that way, being filled with the Spirit. This is what it means. Speaking to one another uh, in uh, psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, probably not meant to be too uh, different uh, here as categories, speaking to one another, singing, uh, making music, from your heart so it's coming from the heart giving thanks to the lord gratitude there submitting to one another by the way in verse 21 and i think that's actually significant we haven't got really time to talk about it here but that's one of the reasons we sing even when we don't feel like it and we sing the songs we don't like that much and uh it's that submitting to one another out of reverence for christ so coming together to sing about christ to you be unified in that because we love Christ rather than we love the song, the music, the genre, the style, whatever, the haircut of the song leader, I don't know. So the connection we're singing here has something to do with engendering unity between the disparate Jews and Gentiles in this context. We bond together by singing, and we sing because we're bonded together in Christ. How will all of us be united and bonded in Christ? by obeying the command that uh, to be filled with God's Spirit, and part of that is in singing together. And I'll tell you what, there are some tough commands in the Bible. This isn't one of them. This is not like that's too onerous a command, is it? Even for those of us who don't particularly like to hear the sound of our own voice. Now let's have a quick look at the Colossians passage, because it has some things that are the same, some things that are different. So in that passage in Colossians, he's instructing them to more specifically uh, sing, uh, sing richly as, as Christ dwells in you, richly teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. That's interesting. Now in Colossae, there were a lot of gods being worshipped in that part of Asia Minor. And Paul is concerned in the book of Colossians more generally about what's called syncretism. In other words, blending together Christian and pagan worship. That's their temptation. So he centers the letter on the sufficiency of Christ. You you don't actually need those pagan gods, so why bother? Christ is a lot better, his unique nature. So read the rest of Colossians, you'll you'll see that. It's very, very powerful. So the context in verse 12 of the Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. This is the way you should behave to one another. Uh, he's, He's talking there to them as a body, living differently from the world, worshiping the one God. And the list of positive exhortations here in the verses that follow about singing, it's about how the congregation sing, not just the individual, as they have uh, uh, Christ dwelling among them richly. So what is this message of Christ dwelling in them richly? It's the message that centers on Christ. In other words, it's not uh, a set of doctrines. It's It's the fact that their fellowship derives its purpose and its strength from Christ. It doesn't derive it from just the fact they've got a lot of tradition of being together, they've known each other a long time, or they believe all the same things. The scriptures help the community to center themselves on Christ. That's actually the point of scripture, by the way, in many ways, helping us to center our lives on Christ, not just our beliefs, but our way of life. We are disciples following. So that's how Christ dwells richly, is when we're living the life of Christ, 
focusing on allowing the scriptures to inspire us and help us and instruct us to live that life of Christ. And we help one another, of course, to live that life of Christ personally and uh, collectively. So this dwelling richly, this message of Christ that's in their midst, it's not a, a thing to be dissected or grasped or conceptualized or even taught or simply understood. It's a dynamic experience. Let Christ dwell among you richly. Let him be experienced by you together when you gather. So Paul is urging them to let Christ be centered among them so that he makes, Christ makes, the difference as to how they live, which is verses 12 to 15. Have a look at that. Compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another, forgiving, being uh, united because of love, being peaceable, be thankful. There's a lot of, lot of specifics there. So the command is to dwell richly in Christ. So how does singing fit? Now, it's not that we dwell in Christ by teaching, admonishing, and singing. It's that we decide to dwell with Christ as central, and then we will sing as a result. You know this amazing Jesus? Let's sing about him. Let's sing together. I want to sing a song that I know that I think would help us to re rejoice in this Christ that we are centered on and in whom we live. The as you in verse 16, as you teach, it's not quite right, really. The NIV translates it that way. A more accurate reading is to see the singing as the channel through which the centralizing of Christ could be expressed. I think that makes a little bit more sense. So we've got different uh, kinds of songs here, psalms, hymns, uh, songs from the Spirit. Uh, I don't think they're meant to be too discreet as such as psalms were seen by other Jewish writers of the first century as just uh, religious songs. Hymns, uh, not word, it's not a hymn, is not a word used much in the New Testament. Jesus and his disciples did sing a hymn in, uh, in uh, Matthew 26. Songs, uh, every time the word songs appears like this, it's qualified by the word spiritual, so it's just spiritual songs. Singing in your hearts to God, we worship God and we instruct one another. It's both horizontal and vertical, you could say, with gratitude, uh, inspired by the grace of God, I think is what he's saying there. Let me give you a summary of eight issues for you to think about and discuss in your local groups and a few um, questions at the end. Eight things for us to consider. Okay, you don't have to discuss all of these, but something to be praying about. Firstly, Singing together is about both the vertical and the horizontal dimensions of worship. Singing is for one another and it is for God, both in our congregational singing. Secondly, teaching the faith to one another can and must be done through music. Music, for some reason, is part of the way we instruct each other in Scripture. Thirdly, Congregational music should be primarily verbal. The words matter more than the music. I speak as somebody who loves music, trained in music, but words are more important because they carry meaning. It's not to say the music isn't important, but the message is more important than the media, or the medium. Fourthly, Christological focus. A fancy word Christological for meaning just all about Jesus, all about Christ. How much of Christ is in view in these songs? Sometimes we sing about various other issues, but how much of Christ is there? Christ is the focus in Colossians and in, in Ephesians. It should be the focus uh, of our songs, at least the vast majority of the time, in one way, one way or another. Fifthly, fifthly, active participation. Worship is something we do, not something done to us. What does that mean for you? Sixthly, a rich variety of songs. Even though psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are probably 
interchangeable to some degree. They are obviously a slightly different flavor or genre or something. So there's a rich variety that I think we need in our in our congregational singing, a variety of the old, the new, and especially the local, that local people write. Very important. We'll talk more about that next time. Seventhly, sincerity and devotion. We worship because partly who we are as one body, uh, the family of, of God, partly because of who God is, and partly because of just what's in my heart and our hearts as a result. The gratitude of the grace that's real to us is part of why we sing with sincerity and true devotion. And eighthly, with an understanding of God's grace. As much as we teach about music and singing, we must not neglect the teaching about the grace of God. That's the point that inspires all of what we're talking about here from Ephesians and Colossians. So some thoughts, um, questions for reflection. Firstly, a suggestion really, why don't you read the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians and reflect on why Paul thinks singing is so important for those churches. What is it, you think, that caused him to write those instructions to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Colossae? Have a look at the rest of those two books. Secondly, what does it mean to you to teach and admonish in song? What does that mean? What does that look like in your local congregational context? Thirdly, how can you and your congregation center your life on Christ in such a way that it inspires you to sing of God's grace? How can you be centered on Christ in general, but especially perhaps when you come together to worship together? Fourthly, is there anything that inhibits you from singing with all your heart when we're together? If so, what can you do about it? It's either a practical thing or an internal, emotional, spiritual thing. What can you do if, it, if you feel inhibited? There are things to be done. Perhaps discuss that with a friend. And fifthly, what does it mean to you that the congregation is now the temple? What does that mean? Well, I hope you find these thoughts stimulating. If you have questions, do drop me a line, malcolm at malcolmcox.org. Next time, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, if you want to have a look at that ahead of time. And if you have questions about it, drop me a line. We sing because Christ died for us. We sing because of God's grace. We sing because we are filled with the Spirit. We sing, well, we have so many things to sing about, don't we? That's part of the reason we sing. Why do we sing? What do you think? Why do you sing when you gather with your brothers and sisters? That's it for today. Hope you have a wonderful week. Take care and God bless.